You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we survey the books of the Bible one book at a time. I'm Drew Kaiser, and Andrew Kingsley is with me this morning as usual, and uh, we are studying the book of Romans, and we have crossed a threshold with the end of Romans chapter 8. Now we're going to get into the middle of this book, which is comprised by chapters 9 through 11, and uh, makes up the most difficult part of this book in terms of understanding the arguments, and uh, I think the overall argument is pretty easy to get, that we're going to be looking at the problem of rejected Jews in light of the gospel. In other words, uh, the gospel says that you can only be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, we've been talking about justification by faith in Christ for several weeks. Well, that makes it possible for unbelieving Jews to be lost. Of course, they're not lost because they are Jewish. They're lost because they have no faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that was a striking idea back in Paul's day. And so many are astounded that Paul is suggesting that it is possible for a biological, hereditary Jew, however you want to describe that kind Mm -hmm. of person, to be lost. Uh, I think that many of Paul's kinsmen, according to the flesh, figured that, you know, I'm good if if I'm a descendant of Abraham, I'm in, regardless of how I live my life. That's the issue that Paul is addressing in chapters 9 through 11, along with the issue of the inclusion of of the Gentiles, which was another sticky point for certain who had this very physical idea of what God's people were. Mm -hmm. So Paul really opens their eyes, but um, in order to get our eyes open on this issue, we've got to understand it first. So Andrew's going to do that for us. He's going to make this crystal clear so that there are no questions at the end of the session, right? Uh, Sure. Sure. I know we've it's had this talk about confidence before. Yeah. Well, you gotta you gotta believe in yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, we're in chapter nine, starting in chapter nine today, and we're going to go through chapter eleven of Romans. If you remember from where we left off, we finished on this really high note at the end of chapter eight about you know we are conquerors in all things through Him who loved us, and we have that you know the verse that everybody has uh, hanging up in their house somewhere or on their phone. Or whatever, uh, verse thirty-eight. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we finish chapter eight on this really high note. There's a very stark contrast when we get to chapter nine, and like you said, we're going to look into this concept really that even though the Jews were chosen by God that they can still be lost now. Like you said, it would be a very... uh, I can't even talk. (laughs) A very brand new idea. There we go. uh, To the Jews. And there's a lot of things in here. We've read some difficult passages so far in Romans up to this point, and 9 through 11 isn't going to give us any kind of break from that. Uh, Commentators struggle greatly with this passage. N.T. Wright had this to say about it. Many have given Romans 9 through 11 up as a bad job leaving Romans as a book with eight chapters of gospel at the beginning, four of application at the end, and three of puzzle in the middle. Now certainly N.T. Wright's not saying that he thinks Romans 9-11 through is a bad job, but just to give you an idea of what we're getting into here, 
there's going to be a few things that if you're riding in your car, uh, when you get home, you might want to sit down and read this entire section because we don't have time to read it all for you. Uh, it's a difficult section. It's not something you can just kind of maybe listen to and get a good handle on um, and be ready to teach it from there. Uh, it's going to require probably a little more thought and insight, uh, but we'll give you the reading. Anyway, chapter 9 opens up with this premise here of God's sovereign choice. And he's going to say in the first few verses uh, that the Israelites, in verse 4 he says, they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So he starts off saying, okay, here are the Jews, the people that were given all of these things. And then in verse 6 he says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So in other words, even though God chose to give all these things to the Israelites and they were chosen, chosen being the key word, as God's people, even though that, that even though now some of the Jews can be lost, that doesn't make the word of God uh, null. I guess it doesn't mean that the word of God has failed. And he qualifies that by saying not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And then he gives us the example of, of Isaac and Ishmael. Obviously, Isaac was chosen to be the son that follows the line of Abraham to the Christ, not Ishmael. Isaac was the son of promise. And then he gives us the example of Jacob and Esau in verses 10 through 13, saying Jacob was chosen by God to follow the line, uh, not Esau. And then when we get to verse 11, we have, we start this, or excuse me, when we get to verse 14, we find that there's a lot of questions coming up. In the mind of a Jew, there would have been a lot of questions. Well, why did God just choose Isaac over Ishmael? Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? And he even writes here that he chose Jacob when they had not yet been born and neither had done anything good or bad. Uh, he just chose Jacob. And so there's a few questions that follow and really drew to me 9 through 11 is almost like a linear thought. You know, I had a hard time outlining this on different topics that were uh, kind of separate from each other. And the only way I could make sense of outlining this was to make it a linear thought, uh, like the previous okay. thought, making the new one or building yeah. on the next one. Like you're talking about like a stream of consciousness, yes, not like a sermon. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we've seen some really well structured chapters in Romans, but you're saying this one is just kind of like a single thought through three chapters and. Almost. And, you know, I yeah. suspected that because I, I knew it was a lot of material to cover, but I knew that mm -hmm. we had to do a whole episode on nine through eleven. We couldn't we couldn't split them up. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to separate them out. Uh, so we're going to follow this the next uh, from nine fourteen to the end of chapter eleven, based on the major questions that are asked, just for the sake of a simple outline. The first question that's asked is in verse fourteen. What shall we say then? Is there any injustice on God's part? By no means. So they're asking, well, if God just chooses people uh, even before they're born, whether or not they've done good or bad, is that unjust of God? Is there injustice with God? And Paul says that familiar phrase, no means, uh, by no means. And he uses the example of Moses um, with the theophany episode um, where Moses asked God to go before him and God agrees to do so. And God actually says to him there, I have mercy on whom I have mercy now have compassion on whom I have compassion. Then he gives us also the example of Pharaoh, 
saying uh, that God will have mercy on whom he wills, and he will harden whomever he wills. That's from verse 18. And there's a lot of things to think about here, but for the sake of outline, we're just going to give you what he talks about, and then when we come back, we'll get into it and try and explain it. But for now, no, the question is asked, is there any injustice? Paul says, no. Here's the example of Moses. Here's the example of Pharaoh. Then the next question comes up in verse 19, where he says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Again, the line of thought being here, we start off with, well, the Jews have been chosen, but not all of the Jews. Not all who had descended of Israel are of Israel. Only the ones that come from Jacob. They came from Isaac. Uh, so why is it only a few of them is God unjust? By no means. We talk about Moses. We talk about Pharaoh. And he says, well, why does he still find fault in people? Take, for example, Pharaoh. Why would he find fault in Pharaoh if God had made him uh, or if God had hardened him? Who can resist his will? Pharaoh couldn't resist. Um, and so Paul gives these answers there. He lets us know that God is the potter who has right over the clay and this is where you find the verses that I'm sure you are familiar with. And we're going to read uh, starting in verse 20. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory? For vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. So it gives the idea there of God as the potter, has right over the clay. And then also when we get to verses 24 to 29, he talks about what is going on with the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 25, he quotes a prophecy from Hosea about those who are not my people, I will call my people, calling out to the Gentiles. And then in verses uh, 27 to 29, he gives a prophecy uh, of Isaiah, right there in verse 29, about the remnant that's going to be left, uh, those who are saved out of the nation of the Jews. And that leads us into question number three. This is what is asked, starting in verse 30 of chapter 9. What should we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? So the question here is, why did the Jews not attain righteousness? Why did the Gentiles attain it, but the Jews did not? And here are the answers. One, they didn't pursue it by faith. Verse 32, Paul plainly says this. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. So they did not pursue it by faith. They also did not submit to God's righteousness. You can see this. Um, at the beginning of chapter 10, starting in verse 2, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So they didn't submit. And in the verses that follow, we really have, Drew, what I think is a contrast between the righteousness that is based on the law versus the righteousness that is based on faith. And I think this is... Uh, really summed up in starting in verse 5. Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we have the contrast there of the righteousness is based on law and righteousness, righteousness is based on faith. And Paul explains what that righteousness based on faith is. And then we move in to this next question in chapter 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. And he gives a few examples. The first example being himself. He says, I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying, has God rejected all the Jews? No, because I am a Jew, and God has not rejected me. And then he's going to give the example of Elijah and the remnant of Israel from long ago. Verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So Bail. too... Excuse me? Is that how you say it? Baal? Baal, Baal. Either one. I, I heard it Baal my whole life, and then when I Did got to college, they told me it was Baal. So I've sometimes I fall back into that. I've never heard you say Baal. Yeah, it is Baal. Some people will say Baal. Uh, verse 5. That's a southern way of calling on false gods. Roll Tide. Baal. <laughs> Uh, verse 5 so too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace but if it is by grace it's no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace would no longer be grace so has God rejected his people no he didn't reject Paul and he didn't reject uh, the remnant back in the days of Elijah and he says in the same way at the present time there is a remnant so just as there was a remnant then there's a remnant now uh, in Paul's day now the final question that we're going to see uh, is in verse 11 and this is really I think the topic that ties the rest of the verses together I ask did they stumble in order that they might fall I guess the idea uh, let's just read it here verse 11 so I ask did they stumble in order that they might fall they being the Jews by no means rather through their trespass salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous and that so phrase, they're not necessarily fallen yet. Yes. The stumble would be the sin. The fall would be the eternal condemnation. Right. So does it, just because they stumble, does that mean that they're utter, utterly lost? That's what he's asking, right? Right. And Paul says, of course not, by no means. And he explains, he says, rather, their trespass, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So we're looking at kind of a, I guess, a, not a cyclical thing here, or I guess it kind of is. Their trespass has brought salvation to the Gentiles, which has brought Israel jealousy, which is meant to lead them back to God, mm-hmm. is what we're going to see by the end of this. And uh, he's going to explain this by giving an example of olive branches uh, that are grafted into a wild olive shoot. Uh, he compares there the Jews to the original branches that fell off and that will be grafted back in. And he compares the Gentiles to branches from a different tree altogether, a wild olive tree that are and brought it, into... Yeah, I'm sorry. I, no, I just, ahead. you know, at this point, 
the audience seems to shift from the Jews to the Gentiles. Right. Did you notice yeah. that? Because he's using second person pronouns. You did this and you do that. Yeah, and he and actually tells them in through, verse 13. For like two and a half chapters, we've thought of you in terms of the Jews. Mm-hmm. But now in chapter 11 when he says, do not be arrogant or uh, do not become proud or lest you be wise in your own sight, I'm picturing Gentiles now. Yeah, he tells them in verse 13, now I am speaking to you, Gentiles. Oh, okay. <laughs> in as much that I'm an apostle of the Gentiles. So he's telling them, hey, I'm talking to you guys. Yeah. Uh, and he's telling them really here, uh, not to be conceited, like you said, don't be arrogant. We're not totally dismissing the Jews here. The Jews still right. have, how did you word it earlier? Mm-hmm. And we said we should have been recording it before we were talking. That was 30 minutes ago, I don't remember. Yeah, uh, the Jews are not out. The Jews still have a place, uh, so the Gentiles don't need to say that they have, I think you kind of put it as they haven't won over the other race. Mm-hmm. The Gentiles have not defeated the Jews. And now the right. Gentiles are the people of God and the Jews are not. But the Jews will be grafted in, back in, if they're not a part of the remnant. Mm-hmm. The ones that are of the remnant are already on the tree. And then the Gentiles are the branches that will be grafted in. And that gets us through the reading. Uh, there's a lot more to be said, uh, but that is a basic outline of chapters 9 through 11 in 18 minutes or less. sure a lot of you were scratching your head wanting us to slow down and this is the part where we do slow down we're going to talk about some of these issues we're not afraid of them or straying away glossing over it and in an attempt to avoid it those of you who have been listening listening to us for a while know that we don't do that sometimes maybe we should but um, we're gonna look at some of these difficulties one by one And we'll go ahead and start with the question of predestination. Now, does he use the term predestined, predestination? He uses the term elect a few times. But um, it's not the use of... Now, of course, he has predestined in chapter Mm 8, you know, uh, verse 30. But um, the question here is not because he uses a term predestination. It just sounds like the Calvinistic idea of predestination when he says things like uh, Jacob I loved Esau I hated or um, what if God desiring to show his wrath made uh, and to make known his powers endured with much, much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory mm-hmm. so in a nutshell The concern is, is Paul talking about the doctrine of predestination which says that before any of us were born, God determined which would be saved and which would be condemned. Um, Now, a big problem with that idea is that if it is true, then all the commands that are given universally to people don't make 
don't make sense at all. I mean, why would he right. tell us to repent yeah. or perish? Luke thirteen three. Why would he mm-hmm. command us to do anything? Why, why is the Great Commission out there? Mm-hmm. I mean, why tell somebody to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature if more than half of creation has already been designated for condemnation? Yeah. So it, if that is our conclusion that we draw from this, then we're in conflict with several passages in the Bible that demand obedience of all people. Yeah. And promise salvation to all who call in the name of the Lord if we get into the language of chapter 10. Mm-hmm. Um, what think, we need. Oh, go, go ahead. I think uh, a way to a good way to clear this up is to figure out what's going on in the context. Paul's exactly. Not, that's what I was about yeah. to say. Yeah. Paul's not trying to make the point that some people are doomed to condemnation regardless of anything that they want to do in their lives. Right. He is trying to make the point that Jews won't be saved simply because. Uh, the promise was made to Abraham. He's trying to right. tell them... You're just, not saved on the basis of race. Yes. Is another way of putting that. Right. And he even brings it up. He says... And he he proves that with Ishmael. In verse 7, he says, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he doesn't even bring up Ishmael here, but the idea is, well, Ishmael was not chosen by God. He was not the child of the promise. Now, was he a child of Abraham? Yes. He was a child of Abraham. Mm-hmm. But did that guarantee Ishmael the promise of the Messiah through his line. No, it did not. Although he was a physical son, he was not called to be the child of the promise. That honor was reserved for Isaac. So physical kinship with Abraham was not enough to guarantee the promises of God. The Jews would have recognized this as true since they did not wish to share in the blessings with the descendants of Ishmael. All the Jews would not have been okay with sharing their blessings with the Arabian people, uh, the Arabs, who are the descendants of Ishmael. Well, I think we can say this a little bit better uh, when it comes to predestination. So, okay, the, the Calvinistic idea of predestination is that God, based on his sovereign will and nothing else, like Paul pointed out even before the twins were born, Mm-hmm. He said this about Jacob and Esau. So uh, the Calvinistic idea is through no effort of our own, God has made this selection of Joe instead of Susie, of you know mm-hmm. this guy and not this guy. And um, what we're saying here in context, when you put this in context, God is not making a choice between this individual and that individual, but rather this group versus that group. Mm-hmm. And the Jews, uh, the the ones who were against Paul, their idea was God made that selection based on lineage. God mm-hmm. made that selection based on the children of Abraham. And Paul's saying, nope, it's not on the basis of lineage or blood, but it is on the basis of faith. Right. And there is, you're talking about physical Israel... And I am talking about the true spiritual Israel, which includes Gentiles. And so you have verse 6, Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Descended Israel is not what has been predestined. Mm -hmm. Um, Israel, the spiritual Israel, has been predestined. And then verse 24 of chapter 9, he says, 
even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So this is a group, a, a mixed group, ethnically speaking. Right. Um, chapter 10, verse 1, he points out that his heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Jews to be saved, which means that some of them are lost. Right. So that is what he's trying to explain, how God could could condemn a Jewish person. Yeah. And the answer is, well, he can do that without being unjust or without being untrue to his word because he didn't predestine Jews, physically speaking. He right. predestined spiritual Israel, right. this and we've, group. We've already got the quote from Paul in Romans chapter 2 where he said, one who's a Jew, this is verse 28, one who's a Jew is merely one, or no one who is a Jew is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So Paul has already exactly. told us that Jews are Jews by circumcision of the heart, not by matter of the letter. Drew, do we have time to talk a little bit uh, about this Jacob and Esau quote, Jacob have a love, but Esau have I hated? Uh, yeah, Esau, let hated. me make this point about predestination, though. Um, okay. So, yeah, along those lines. lines. We, yeah, we're still on this. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, we think of predestination, and a lot of times we don't really understand what that means. And there's a great definition of it in Acts chapter 4, verse 27, that I just accidentally came across, where um, Paul is, uh, not Paul, the apostles are speaking um, to the Jewish council. And they say, Truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So the noun there is plan, the verb predestined. Yeah. Plans predestined. So all predestination is, is planning. Right. If you think of it that way, it's a little easier to accept the language. Now, I'm just using the way the Bible uses it in Acts 4.28. When you get over to Romans 9-11, through 11, we're reading about God's plans for humanity. And it mm -hmm. is that the people of faith, the people who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and not in their own works, those are the people that God has planned to save. Mm -hmm. That is part of the gospel plan. Yeah. So I just I thought that was interesting how the noun plan is carried out by the action of predestination. Yeah. Um, maybe that helps, maybe not. Yeah, I think that plan really speaks to this uh, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Because I think a lot of people read that and they think, well, why, you know, poor Esau? Yeah, because of the word hate. Yeah, and this is, and we already read, uh, though they were not yet born, in verse 11, and they had done nothing either good or bad. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Yeah, well, those are parallels. Verse mm -hmm. 12 and verse 13 say the same thing. Right. You interpret verse 13 by what is said in verse 12, which is basically Jacob's the leader, Esau's the follower, despite their birth order. Right. Which is to say that Jacob was loved and Esau was hated. The only sense in which Esau was hated was in the sense that he had to serve Jacob. Mm -hmm. That he lost his birthright. And there's something, I want to know what you think about this. Uh, this is a quote that Jacob I have loved. is a quote from Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and following. And this was written long after Jacob and Esau had lived and died. 
And we know that when we're talking about Jacob and Esau, again, we're not so much talking about the individuals as we're talking about the groups that would follow. So it's the the line of Jacob, not the line of Esau. And so this is long after Jacob and Esau. Do you think that has any kind of uh, any kind of I guess uh, reasoning as to why these terms loved and hated are used here? Since it came way after the fact. Uh, what was going on the people of Esau? What's going on with Esau's descendants after Esau's death? Well, they become the Edomites. Okay. And the Edomites were not God's chosen people. Okay, well, the Edomites, I'm wondering, and I just didn't have they time. They didn't have all these things that you read before, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, uh, and most especially the Christ. The Christ yeah. did not come through the Edomites. Christ came through the Israelites. Yeah. The people of Jacob. Yeah. So, um, I was just wondering if, if there was anything that had to do with that. That word hate. Yeah, but I think well, we see that and hate we, and we get scared of it, but it's not a... And we're used to seeing this, right, from Jesus' words. Yeah. Because he, whoever does not hate his father, mother, brother, sister cannot be my disciple. Yeah. And then, you know, Matthew's text says, who does not, he who does not love me, uh, let's see, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Something mm-hmm. like that. So hate if you use the Bible to interpret the Bible, means to love less than. Yeah. Not just to abhor or to want to kill or, you know, the most extreme definition of hate. It just means, by comparison, you love this group so much that you hate this group in another sense of the word hate. Right. And that that brings us, I think, to this next point. we got to get off of predestination here pretty soon. Um, you Let's know, get off of it now. Well, I want to. Oh, okay. I want to pick one of these things here. I've got a lot more. I've got four more points under this. Uh, let me just pick. You one. make too many notes. If you well, <laughs> let me pick one. Well, I mean, it's. I think it's an interesting. Let's go to Pharaoh. Let's talk about Pharaoh with predestination here, because I think Pharaoh presents the problem of does God breach free will of people, uh, yeah. and I think. Which that's a problem even if you don't have Romans 9 through 11. You get that problem when Mm -hmm. you're reading the book of Exodus because it clearly says in some cases that God hardened his heart. Yeah, and there are some cases where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Right. Yeah, and then I think there's there's a couple of times where it says the magicians hardened his heart. Yeah, so I guess uh, the thing I want to look at really quick, uh, just for maybe a minute or two before we move on to the next one, uh, is we have this phrase here, we have, we're going back to Moses in verse 15. It says, God says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. And then we get to verse 18. He has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Some people read that and they're thinking, well, is God just, you know, just capriciously making these decisions of, well, I think I want to have mercy on you, so I'm going to have mercy on you. But I don't want to have mercy on you, so I'm just not going to. Well, I think I want to love Jacob, but I don't really want to love Esau that much. So I'm just going to pick Jacob. They haven't even been born yet. They haven't done anything right or wrong. I'm just going to pick Jacob just because. And I think yeah, people get example, hung up on he that. He didn't say, and I will condemn whom I will condemn. He just he talks about mm-hmm. the mercy side of it. And the Israelite, right. uh, the, the Jews that are arguing with Paul, and I always try to be precise with that because we tend to forget that Paul was a Jew also. He reminds us of this in, mm-hmm. in this section. You read it a while ago. 
But he's just he's just saying, I can save Gentiles if I want to. That's what yeah. he's saying. Just like he told Moses back where this scripture is lifted from, when Moses uh, was going to him, oh, you pointed out that it was as a part of the glory, the manifestation of God's mm-hmm. glory. It's his character to be merciful to people who don't deserve his mercy. Yeah. And that that is his character. That is his holy nature. Yeah. And I think when it comes to, how does that apply to this example that he gives of Pharaoh here? Because he brings Pharaoh up in that same context. And he says it doesn't depend on human will or exertion. Basically, it doesn't depend on what you do, but it depends on God who has mercy. And that's when he says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I've raised you up, that I could show my power. And that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And then we get into this discussion on vessels of honorable use and vessels of dishonorable use. I think it's very interesting to note that you don't find anywhere in Scripture God hardening the heart of somebody who believes in him. You know? Mm-hmm. You don't find where David is trying his hardest to follow God, but God won't let him. And God to, and the Scripture doesn't say, David tried to follow God. But God hardened his heart and would not allow him to follow him because God had already predestined that David would die. You know, right, yeah. We don't find anything like that. So there is exactly. an element of free will still lying within here, although we might think of this potter and clay illustration to remove all free will. But this is an illustration used, and I think we would all agree that humans are not inert lumps of clay. Now, we have been crafted by God, but we have been crafted with a capacity for free will. You'll notice Pharaoh's given multiple chances to release the people of Israel. He could have. He could have if he wanted to. But he right. refused. And God, God could have stopped it with one plague. Right. God, no could have, God could have wiped out all of the Egyptians however he wanted to and then have the Jews take over the land of Egypt. Right. He, he didn't go the simplest route for mm-hmm. him. Or for Pharaoh, or for the Israelites, um, he took us through this because uh, now we're getting way too deep into Exodus. But you know those plagues were symbols of the Egyptian gods. Right, they served you know, a purpose. Each plague fit some kind of Egyptian god. Yeah. So he took them through that. That's what he decided to do, which involved the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. He used mm-hmm. that hard heart for his purposes. And I don't and think that gets us too deep into Exodus because of verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? What's going on in Exodus if it's not God desiring to make known his power enduring with patience a vessel of wrath? And that vessel of wrath being Pharaoh. You know? Right. The, yeah, the, what he elected to do or, or chose to do out of his sovereignty was to be patient with Pharaoh. Exactly. Instead of wiping him out first run. Exactly. Um, you know, so you got to think about what he chose to do. And also, we remember that the main audience, at least up until chapter 11, verse 13, the main audience are Jewish unbelievers. Right. So how do you get through to them? You quote their scriptures back at them. Yeah, you bring so up... Paul's the, using every example that he can mm-hmm. think that illustrates God's sovereignty. So to drive home the point, not that Tom and Susie are saved and Jimmy and Paul... Or yeah. lost, but but that God can include the Gentiles. He can also condemn the Jews. He can choose to save by the gospel rather than the law of Moses. Um, you know, which is what they want. They want what Romans ten five says 
uh, where Paul quotes Leviticus 18.5, the person who does the commandment shall live by them. Well, the reason God has elected to go the gospel route is because he wouldn't save anybody that way because all have sinned. So he's Which chosen Paul has to go already the made gospel. the point of at the beginning of Romans. Yeah, yeah, and you've got that behind you. So, so he uses all of these examples from their scriptures: Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, uh, the incident in Exodus thirty-three where God's glory passes over Pharaoh and the ten plagues, Isaiah's metaphor of the potter and the clay. Um, um, you have a little of Hosea in here with uh, mm-hmm. mercy and no mercy and mm-hmm. um, my people, not my people, and uh, a quotation from Isaiah. Isaiah again, That's all, yeah. you know, there's one reference, allusion, or quotation after another in Romans chapter 9. Yeah, so the whole thing is... he's preaching a sermon to them from their own scriptures. Yeah, and there's another one in, at the very end of chapter 9. Another um, quote from all different yeah, scriptures. Yeah, exactly. And we had to gloss over That's some of Isaiah that just 28. to get, you know, with the time constraints. Yeah. Um, so I think that pretty much wraps up our discussion. Yeah, we got to move on. Um, let me say really quickly, this uh, section here in um, chapter 10, verses 6 through 8, is kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. Because he's contrasting the righteousness that comes through works of the law with the righteousness that is by faith. And he says, the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Uh, he's quoting Hebrew scriptures again. That's Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. What is he talking right. about there? You know, People get really curious about is Christ in heaven or is he in hell or what's the abyss or that Hades? Mm-hmm. You know, what did Christ go down to Hades? Did he go up to heaven? Can people go to heaven? Can they go down to that? No. You're missing the whole point. He's saying you don't have to go to those lengths to draw near to Christ. God brings you into contact with him through the word. Yeah. The word that is in your mouth and in your heart. And when it's in your heart, it looks like faith. When it's in your mouth, it looks like confession. Right. Which leads to the more familiar verses of verses 9 and 10, mm-hmm. that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be mm-hmm. saved. For with the, mouth, uh, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth mm-hmm. confession is made unto salvation. So that tells us that faith and confession is conditional upon salvation. But it, it, that's the force of what he's talking about there. Yeah, I think if you yeah. go back, to Deuteronomy 30 and read starting verse 11 I mean it covers every bit of that this is what exactly what Moses told them this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you nor is it out of reach it is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it so the whole thing calls back to Deuteronomy 30. Yeah, it's it, very interesting, too, Yeah, that Paul um, substituted the name Christ for commandment. Yeah. Where it's commandment in Moses, it's Christ in Paul, mm-hmm. which is an intersection with John 1, yeah. where John says, in the beginning was the Word. He calls Christ the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's essentially what Paul is doing here. Yeah. Um, 
using a Christ in terms of the logo. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could talk about that all day long, but that's what's going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that confuses people is in verses 11 through 13 of chapter 10, um, you know, there are these statements like, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we've mm-hmm. heard that quoted oftentimes to support the doctrine of the sinner's prayer, the idea mm-hmm. that all you have to do is say this prayer, which is calling on the name of the Lord, and you will be you will be saved. And I got two responses to that. You may have some more things to say, but the first thing is that the emphasis here is not upon a plan of salvation or how to be saved, but who is saved. Right. Because you got to remember that he's trying to talk some sense into the heads of certain Jewish people who oppose the gospel because they don't want to include the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so look at how many times the, the term everyone or terms like it are used in these three verses. The scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, over and over and over again, it's about the scope of the gospel, including everyone who believes, Jew or Greek. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say about it is calling on the name of the Lord is more than just saying a prayer. I mean, right. you get the definite like one place where it's defined uh, is in Acts twenty two sixteen, where Ananias comes to Saul and he says, "Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins," calling on the name of the Lord. Yeah, calling on the name of the Lord is kind of a description of what Ananias is telling Saul to do, yeah. which includes baptism, but not limited to baptism. Yeah. So you know, those are two things. You may have some things to just, add to Well, that. just something to add to your second point. Uh, the calling has to be something more than just just saying something or this confession even uh, because you have Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, when are the kingdom Yeah, that's a good point. So not yeah. everyone who calls on me will be saved, but here everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, it depends on how you define that calling. And it, Paul kind of explains what you have to have to call on him how can you call on him in whom you have not believed? Uh, then obviously you know you have to hear. Uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. you got to hear the word of Christ, have faith in the word of Christ, believe it. And then based on that belief, you call upon the Lord. If you believe in the word of God, if you believe in the way that that it teaches, if you believe in what the New Testament teaches about salvation, then you know that calling on the Lord involves more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. Okay, now I'm saved. Right, because we know even demons believe in Christ, and demons are not saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's from the Book of James. Yeah, one more thing. Um, oh, there's so many things we're skipping, and we know mm-hmm. that, but we just can't get it all in. Um, one more thing, though, that we have to mention is Romans chapter eleven, verse twenty-six. The very perplexing statement mm-hmm. that if you read it out of context, you get the wrong conclusion is, in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, I don't know how many people have interpreted that passage to mean that everybody on the basis of their Jewish ethnicity will be saved, without exception. Premillennials believe that? Some some do. It's kind of a hodgepodge of people who interpret the passage this way. But you see a lot of Zionism in, in evangelical Christianity today which is the idea that it's all about the physical nation of Israel. I mean, I don't even know if Israel would be on the map today if it weren't for that Zionist point of view 
Yeah. Because in 1948, you know, there were a lot of Zionists that were behind the establishment of the state of Israel, which had disappeared mm-hmm. up to that point. One of the responses to the Nazis and the concentration camps and all the horrific uh, things of World War II was to reestablish the nation of Israel. And, you know, behind that, among other ideas, was the idea that Jews are saved because they're Jews. Now, mm-hmm. the biggest problem with that interpretation is that goes against everything that Paul has been saying since chapter 9. Yeah. He's addressing the problem of Jews who are lost. I mean, why would he say, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, if all Israel will be saved? That doesn't make any sense. Why in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, does he say he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his in his heart? Why is he wishing that he could be accursed to save the whole Jewish race, if that were even possible? Why is he saying all of that if 1126 means that every Israelite, every Jewish person is is in? Yeah. There's no possibility of them not being saved. What about all the grafting and the cutting off and the mm-hmm. reintroduction of Jews who have repented into the tree? None of it makes sense. So what is he saying here? Um He's talking about a remnant, which chapter 11, verse 5 specifies, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Mm -hmm. A remnant is not all, but only a part. Uh, Verse 7, he says, it's only the elect. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Right. Um, And then you see in verse 25, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Right. Where we have back here, the the elect obtained it but the rest were hardened. So there's an idea of there's an Israel, like we go all the way back to Romans 2, one who is a Jew is one inwardly. One who is a member of Israel is not just by uh, physical things, like we just read in chapter 9, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And now we get over here, how does God recognize Israel? Well, God recognizes the I wanted to bring Israel. up verse 14 too, where he says... He's wanting to make his fellow Jews mm-hmm. jealous and thus save some of them. Right. I, I, I hated to interrupt your thought, but that was no, the most powerful yeah. argument against translating 26 in that universal way. Yeah. Because he's just said, you got to read the whole chapter. It's the bottom line. Yeah. You can't just pick something out and say, whoa, that's that fits into what I want to believe. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's talking about saving some of them, about a remnant, about a partial hardening all of these have to do with a fraction of the Jews being saved, not the whole mm-hmm. race. Right, and that fraction is going to be the spiritual Israel. Yeah, exactly, right? which includes Gentiles. Yeah, and with the ones that are grafted in to this, uh, the holy root. Verse 16, if the dough offered his first root is holy, so is the whole lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So whoever is grafted into that holy root are going to be the ones that are of the spiritual Israel. Whether it's uh, wild olive tree branches that are grafted into the cultivated one, or whether it's the cultivated ones that fell off and now are being grafted back into their own tree. Whatever it is, uh, that spiritual Israel is definitely the one we're talking about here. Right. Uh, Because if all Israel is saved, then Paul's torn down everything he's just said about election and God's sovereign choice uh, even at the beginning of chapter 9, we failed to mention this in the reading because we didn't have time. If we can cover it and apply, I'd like to. 
uh, where Paul talks about being in great sorrow and unceasing anguish over the Jews. And he wants to be accursed so that his brothers can have life. He wants to be cut off from Christ so the Jews can be with Christ. Doesn't make any sense if we get over here and Paul says, well, you know, none of that stuff really matters anyway because all Israel is going to be saved. Right, right. So, okay, we're talking about all the things that it does not mean. We probably should talk about what it does mean. Yeah. And it it all has to do with that adverbial clause at the beginning of verse 26. In this way, all Israel will be saved. In other words, this is the the manner in which Jews that are saved are saved. Right. You know, this is the way it happens. What way? The way of the gospel. You're going to be saved alongside of Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ. You're not going to be saved to the exclusion of Gentiles. You're not going to be saved through works. He's been over all of this in this section. You're going to be saved according to the gospel through faith in Jesus Christ alongside everyone else, regardless of race, background, nationality, through faith in Jesus Christ. And that, that's what it means. It's an Yeah. I think know. if you I mean if you were to listen and one of us said we obtained salvation through grace with a righteousness not based on works but on faith, in this way all people will be saved. How would you yeah. interpret that? You would not interpret that as me saying, Hey, everyone on the planet that has ever lived is going to be saved. You would I mean, interpret that with the Some might. You know, yeah. I, I think the word all throws us off. I mean, yeah. it threw me off when I first started studying this a long time ago. So, admittedly, that is kind of a curious way to put it. Yeah. But it's easy to understand if you read the whole section. Right. Anyway, I mean, it might cause us to stop and say, well, i got to back up and read this again. Yeah, if you take it in the context, I think it's really simple. If you try and take it out of its context, it's, well, I mean, I don't want to make light of it and say it's really simple. If you read it within the context, I think it's clear what the meaning is. It might take a little bit of study, but I think it's clear. Uh, but if, like you're saying, if you just lift it up out of its context, there's no way. There's really no way to determine. If you just take that without any of the other scriptures and read, in this way, all Israel will be saved, then you're left with the idea, well, you're, I guess that all Israel, everybody that's ever been born from the line of Abraham is going to be saved. Well, and maybe that's what Paul's heart wants. And no. so that's why the word all is in there. All no. these other expressions of grief and willing to trade himself in for the rest of the nation show his anguish. And I think that word all has to do with his longing, what he what he wishes were the case, mm-hmm. but he knows cannot be the case. Right. Um, well, look, we're, we're about at the top of the hour here. So oh my goodness, let's take really? a little break and uh, come back for application in just a few minutes. chapters and you would think after looking at three really deeply philosophical chapters that there wouldn't be a whole lot of practical application but actually there's a ton of it starting with chapter 9 verses 2 and 3 I think what we see here in Paul's unceasing anguish and this wish that he makes 
that he could be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of his brothers, talking about the kinsmen according to the flesh, mm-hmm. the Jewish people. Um, what you see here is a strong urgency when it comes to evangelism. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's something that's missing in the many places of the church today. How many of mm-hmm. us as Christians would put our lives on the line for the lost? Yeah. That's what Paul is offering to do. And we, if we had that kind of spirit, mm-hmm. the church would be growing. Yeah, I think rapidly. so too. I mean, I don't know how many of us would say, I wish that I could, you know, be accursed and die. I don't think any of us would say that. He um, said die and go to hell. Basically. Yeah, yeah, that's he what would, I was going to say. He would spend an eternity in hell if, if it meant the entire Jewish race could be saved. Right, and I think if all of us, like you said, if everybody had that kind of an urgency, because people, I mean, it's kind of harsh to say, but we're not even willing to be uncomfortable for five minutes for the sake right. of our kinsmen. Well, this person, I need, I know I need to tell people about Christ, but it's just so, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's awkward, so I'm not going to do it. So what we're saying is there, Paul, on one hand, is saying, I wish that I could literally be cut off from the salvation of Christ for the sake of other people. And then here we are living in the Bible Belt where the majority of people believe in God and we're, we can't even, you know, we're afraid, we're scared to death. Paul's willing to die. We're not willing to say, hey, what do you think about God? Hey, do you believe in God? And the mm-hmm. only way to get there is to really believe that people are lost without the gospel. Right. And, um, well, there's more about that. But let's go to chapter 10 now. Verse 2 has a really good application where he says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Right. And the, and the lesson there is it's not enough just to be excited. You've mm-hmm. got to know what you're excited about. you got yeah. to have a little knowledge that goes along with the enthusiasm. Exactly right. Um, you can be as there's a lot of people with really good intentions that are really excited about God. And I think all of us maybe at some point find ourselves in that position. We have a real zeal about something, but maybe someone comes along and maybe corrects our thinking or shows us a verse that we haven't read before. And we're like, oh, okay, so that's how it goes. You know, I think of when I was a kid growing up, I had a lot of this. You know, I was very excited, very, you know, always excited about being a Christian and doing things for God. And then, but I mean, I had no idea what I was excited about. You know, mm-hmm. I was just excited about the idea of there's a God and I follow God and I you know I'm going to do everything I can to serve him. Very excited about that, but I you know, did I know I mean, and I'm not saying you got to know these kinds of things, but did I know what it meant to say all Israel will be saved in Romans 11:26? <laughs> right. No. I mean, there are things that come along. Well, with you know, it got really it's really dangerous the zeal of the Jewish establishment because yeah. they were you know, making demands where God had not made demands and excluding people that God had included and, yeah. and all of that. Now, there's one more before we move on. There's one other thing. I think you've got to have the knowledge, yes, but you also need to have the zeal, too. So it's not yes. like when you get yeah. the knowledge, your zeal needs to leave. We're going to read next time we do an episode uh, in the next chapter, chapter 12, and verse 11. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Yeah. So you got to have the zeal and you got to have the knowledge. That, that's good tie-in there. I apologize for this. I didn't tell you about this during the break, but there's there's one verse that could have come mm-hmm. up in any of the three sections. We haven't brought it up yet. Yeah. Chapter 10, verse 4. 
which says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone oh, who yeah. believes. End of the law here has to do, in my judgment, it has to do with his being the point of the law or mm-hmm. the conclusion of the law. Uh, yeah. So he, you know, it's similar to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where he said, um, he said he, he did not come to uh, destroy the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. Mm-hmm. That's the same idea. Or Galatians 3.24, where Christ or the law was a guardian until Christ. Yeah. So he's the point toward which the law was headed. Which means when you preach, teach, read the Old Testament, it's about Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think that thing you just said is the point to where it was all going. The word, that Greek word there, is the word that we sometimes see as perfection. Telos. Yeah. It's the perfection. It's what it's trying to strive toward. It's the end. Mm -hmm. The completion is another way to use completion. It's the word Jesus said from the cross when he said, it is finished. Right. So the law is finished in Christ. Yeah. Is one way of looking at it. That's a a really great point that has to be made. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, man, what else? Um... You have confession and uh, belief made as uh, discussed as conditions for salvation in mm-hmm. verses 9 and 10. In other words, they are essential to your salvation. You can't be saved unless you're willing not only just to believe that Jesus is your Savior, but to say it in front yeah. of people. Um, and then in chapter 10, verse 15, you have this statement, "...how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news." Mm-hmm. We get from that that the gospel is good news. We also yeah. get from that that you know those who bring the gospel uh, have a special blessing. Yeah, know? and why is that? And it's because how can people believe, or how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, they can't believe unless they hear, and they can't hear unless someone preaches. So the people who are preaching, the people who bring the word to people, are very blessed because they're bringing them that word that could ultimately save them. You know, someone like Paul is very dedicated to doing that. Evangelism is extremely, extremely important and sadly, I think, very undervalued. Yeah. Um, We learn a little bit about faith in chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, Faith is the conviction, the assurance of things not seen. Mm -hmm. So, no, faith doesn't come from you know, seeing the Lord in person or hearing His voice in person, but that doesn't mean it's totally blind. Faith is based upon the knowledge of the Word of God. We could have tied this in, I guess, with uh, verse 2 of the same chapter, that, mm-hmm. you know, zeal without knowledge is no good. Yeah. So it would be interesting to preach a sermon from Romans 10 on knowledge. Yeah. I think there's a lot in there on that. Uh, then you got, uh, I think we're ready to get into chapter 11 with a couple of points um, you know one in verse 18 is a warning against arrogance yeah. and a reminder to the Gentiles who had been saved to stay humble because they weren't saved on their own merit mm-hmm. as the Jews were not saved by their own merit but they were saved through Jesus Christ too in this analogy of the, the olive tree is the root so he says do not be arrogant you, it is not you who support the root, but the, the root supports you. And that ought to always keep the perspective for us. Yeah, I you think know, that helps supported. us. 
yeah, we're supported by Christ. We're supported by Christ's body as well. And I don't know if I'm stretching that too far to make it Christ's body, the church. Um, but I think it's a good warning to people. Remember that you it's not you who support uh, it's not you who supports Christ, but Christ who supports you. It's not you who, I guess, holds up. And when we're talking about support here, we're talking about holding up the plant. Um, I guess and yeah. nourishing and the nur- plant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are, in a sense, Keeping we it from nourish. Being blown away, and, right? You know. And in a sense, I guess uh, we do nourish the body of Christ. We do nourish each other through encouragement. Um, but the ultimate nourishment, in this sense that we're talking about, we don't offer that kind of nourishment to the church. We don't offer that kind of encouragement to Christ. That is offered to us through the church, through Christ. It sounds like. Paul is thinking about John 15, although I don't think John 15 had been written yet when he wrote the book of Romans, but yeah. you know he might, he might have already known about the analogy of the vine and the branches in John 15, where Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. You right. know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Mm-hmm. Don't get it backwards. You can't, right. you can't, I don't depend on you, you depend on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing, and that has to do with chapter 11, verse 22, which says, uh, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. He's talking mm-hmm. to the Gentiles now. God has, he's infinite in all of his divine attributes. He is infinitely loving, and he is infinitely righteous. So you mm-hmm. have the light and the love of God demonstrated here in this in this um, command to note the kindness and the severity of God yeah uh, and it it turns on the obedience or the responsiveness of his people you know mm-hmm. he's he points that out it, it's a uh, those who have fallen it's severity those who continue in the kindness it's kindness right and I don't even know if I should bring this up we might could chop this off from here because it might take too long but it does say if you continue, then the kindness basically will continue. If you don't, you'll be cut off. And this, I think, says something about the once saved, always saved. Uh, yeah, definitely. definitely. Definitely doesn't apply because if you don't continue in his kindness here, you're going to be cut off. And on the flip side, if the Jews who have been cut off, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. I wonder, you know, I think that's even more evidence against the claim of predestination there because if he had if he had predestined all these Jews to die then he wouldn't say well they can be grafted back in and if he had and if he predestined all of them to be saved as some would say from you know the verse we already covered in verse 26 of chapter 11 why why give the warning why would can be cut off why would they need to be grafted in again yeah they're cut off with all the pruning and the grafting and I, yeah, you, this whole analogy of a tree does not make sense in the in the context of predestination. Because why would you prune a tree that's already been predestined or graft something into it? Right. Um, well, this was heavy stuff, and I, you know, Andrew, I don't know if we did a good job on this or not. I, you know, confidence. I remember? <laughs> yeah, we tried. You know, uh, it's it's a I difficult think, section of scripture. Very difficult. And and the most difficult part of this particular episode was just trying to get enough in there for our listeners to get 
chapters 9 through 11. So if you're totally lost, please pick up your Bible the next chance you get and read Romans 9 through 11 and then listen to it again. Or just tune in next week because we're going to keep doing this. Give us some feedback on how we're doing.